Well, good morning, Berean family. Man, it feels good to say that. And it feels good to be here. Uh, it's a privilege to come and, and share God's word with you this morning. I am Pastor Lentrell, a former pastor here. I have been sent off into Euclid, Ohio uh, to plant a church. Euclid is a community that is in desperate need of the gospel. <clears throat> and you guys have loved my family well and sent us off there. And uh, in many ways, I feel like you deserve an update. And I just want to let you know our family, we are eagerly and uh, intentional about meeting people there in our neighborhood, still trying to figure out uh, the narrative of the community. And uh, we're, we're hoping to have a, a, a fuller update in the beginning of September, maybe even a church name and, and some more stuff like that. So Lord willing, I'll come sometime in September and give you a fuller update. But right now, the name of the game is just meet people, meet people. And so our daily uh, affairs look like that, just meeting people. And uh, Pastor Dan uh, is serving Jesus this morning by uh, being with his family and serving his family. And so he wanted to be here, but he couldn't. And so it's my privilege to be here this morning. And we're going to continue in our series. And, and I said R because I'm family here, right? <laughs> like I've been here all the time. We're going to continue in the series of the, the Beatitudes found in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, take them with me and turn there to the fifth chapter of the gospel according to Matthew we're, we're in this marvelous text of the Lord Jesus, the Beatitudes. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 12, but we're going to focus in on verse 8. This is God's holy and inspired and authoritative word, and it has power to transform our lives. Amen? So let's listen with all our hearts. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you are when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be amongst family, and to open your word. And as we do so, Father, we do so with humble hearts. We know that we need to hear from you, uh, not just today, but every day, but especially in this gathering as we gather together. So my prayer is that you would speak to your people, meet needs, touch hearts, and transform lives the only way 
uh, like the only way in which you can do. And Father, I also, I just want to lift up Brother Leonard Herring, uh, who has invested in me in so many ways um, from this local body, a man who loves you and a man who loves me, God. He has loved me so much, and I know that he's in this valley. I just pray for him, uh, that you would heal him. And if not, Lord, I pray that you would give him the faith to finish the race. In Jesus' name, amen. Here, we have the Lord Jesus declaring people are blessed when these virtues are a reality in their lives. He is saying they are truly happy, deeply content when they are in a right relationship with me. He's saying happy and fortunate and blissful are they who have been transformed by my grace. Because when you look at these descriptions of disciples, this can only be a reality in someone's life who has met Jesus who's in relationship with Jesus, and who is daily walking with him. Look at the promises that Jesus gives forth about these people. He says that theirs will be the kingdom of God. He says they will be comforted. They will be satisfied. And in our verse today, he said, Blessed be the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What an amazing promise. Does anyone here want to see God? To see him and his glory and his majesty? That is an awesome promise, to see God. He goes on up to promise that these children will be called sons of God. And so what we have here really is a, is a display of the riches of salvation. It's a display of the riches of salvation. These people who are in relationship with God have these blessings ahead of them. And they're not just future blessings, they're also present blessings. And they have a, a fulfillment in a place in, in today, in the present. Look back at verse 8. This is our text for today. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I want to hold out to you this morning a very simple outline to just direct our time in this passage. First, if you take your notes, it's very simple. First, what we must know. Second, what we must have. And then thirdly, what we must do. What we must know, what we must have, and then what we must do. First, what we must know. Reading this passage and many other passages in the Bible will beg the question, what is the big idea? What's the big issue with the heart? You hear a lot about the heart just reading the scripture. For example, Solomon said, keep your heart with all vigilance. Easy for me to say, right? <laughs> for from it flows the springs of life. That's Proverbs 4.23. Moses said, you should love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Jesus himself said, either make the tree 
good and its fruits good or make the tree bad and its fruits bad. For the tree is known by its fruits. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And there's many other passages. And so the big question I think arises from just going through the scriptures is, what is the big deal with our hearts? And that's one of the first things we must know. The heart is very significant. We must understand that. The heart is very significant. What is our hearts? What what are we talking about here? Our hearts are the core of our personality. It's the real you. Your heart is the real you. It's made up of your mind and your will and your emotions. But it's the, it's the center of our personality. It's the control panel of your humanity. It's the system preferences of your soul for my Apple users. I got a couple here. But the heart is the core of our being. And it's vitally significant and important. Jesus' teachings reveal that Christianity is the religion of the heart. And we must know that. It's all about the heart. Opposed to just ethics and conduct and just behavior, washing outside the cup. God is not interested in superficial religion. Just outward working. God is interested in after our hearts. Christianity is a heart religion. And our hearts are vitally important. And I want you to know that. Or I want to remind you of that this morning. Not only are our hearts important, there's a problem with our hearts. Did you know that? There's a problem with our hearts. Or at least I know there's a problem with my heart. Our hearts, described by the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 17, verse 9, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? There's a problem with our hearts. I mean, God made us for relationship. He made us to walk with him and to love him and to serve him. And because sin has entered the world, And because sin has entered us and and specifically into our hearts, we rebel against God. He tells us to follow him, we say no. He tells us to worship him, we worship other things than him. There is a problem with our hearts. If you can't say amen, you might want to say ouch. (laughs) Do you agree? There is a problem with our hearts. Listen to the Lord Jesus. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, turn there with me. I want you to see this passage. We must know this. We must affirm what the scriptures declare about our hearts. Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, and following. Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile, but 
To eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Do you see that? I mean, did you see it? What is proceeding from our hearts? It's all kind of wickedness. Our hearts have a problem. It's safe to say that one of our biggest problems in our lives come from within. And we need to know that. Education, legislation, and indoctrination will not change the heart. Amen? It can't. The problem is too deep. We have a problem. And thirdly, just looking back at our text, I think we really need to know what this word pure means. This is the third thing we need to know. We need to know that the heart is significant. We need to know that the heart has a problem. And we need to know what does Jesus mean by heart purity or pure heart. I don't think Jesus is just making reference to, I don't think this word just means freedom from defilement, although I think it does mean that. If you're taking notes, write down these verses in, in Psalm 24, verse 1 to 3, Psalm 53, verses 6 and 10, and James chapter 4, verse 8. We won't look at those verses, but if you do a survey of those verses, I think it creates a definition of this concept of purity or to be pure. Again, it's, it's Psalms 24, 1 through 3, Psalms 51, verse 6 and 10, and James chapter 4, verse 8. But I think the definition of purity is not only freedom from defilement, but it's also a single-mindedness. It's a single focus. It's a heart without hypocrisy. And so it's not only a heart that's free from corruption, it's a heart that's totally devoted to the Lord. That's the type of heart that Jesus is saying will see God. The heart that is, is single focused on the Lord. And I think the two definitions kind of work together. Freedom from defilement, singular purpose in following Jesus and devotion to him. Because if we're totally devoted to him, we're not being dragged away, right? But if we're not single-heartedly following Jesus, oftentimes we fall into defilement. And so the, the definition of this pure heart makes us kind of tremble. And look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9. We kind of tremble and we quote this verse, Proverbs 20, verse 9. I want you to look at this verse. I think we will all agree if we're acknowledging, okay, this is the standard of a pure heart. This is what a pure heart looks like. Look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart pure? Who can say that? I am clean from my sin. Which, which one of us can say that? This leads us to my second point. What must we have? If our hearts are so important, and yet our hearts are sinful, and we can't change our hearts ourselves, what must we have? Well, we need someone to intervene. Amen? We need someone to intervene in the affairs of our heart. And I only wish we knew someone who had a pure heart. 
I only wish we knew someone who never sinned and lived a perfect life and had a perfect heart. Maybe he could tell us how to get a pure heart. If only there was just someone who was perfect and pure in all his ways, maybe he could help us. Do you know anyone like that? Jesus. Jesus alone is the answer for our corrupted hearts. And this is good news. This is like gospel 101. The fact that Jesus not only has a pure heart, but he lived a life and he died a death to save us from our sins and to purify our hearts. That is amazing. Amen. Jesus went to the cross and was punished in our place so that our hearts may be made pure. And that's amazing. That is amazing. What must we have? We must have our hearts cleansed by the blood of Jesus. What, what must we have? We must enter into a relationship with Jesus and have him cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, it, it clarifies that this is exactly what Jesus is willing to do. Look at chapter uh, 2 of Titus, verse 13 and 14. I know we have a lot of scripture this morning, but our text was only like a sentence. So we have to feel the message out. <laughs> Titus chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul writes, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness and to do what? To purify, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So this is what we need. This is what we must have. We must have Jesus come in and and change us, transform us. I love what Ezekiel says. He literally draws out this salvation. It's like God taking out our old heart and giving us a new heart, a pure heart. And that's what we must have. We must have our new hearts, a new heart given from Jesus himself. And how do we receive it? It's by simple faith. God's grace is so amazing that he extends new hearts, pure hearts to us all. And we, by simple faith, we receive it. We receive it. And so that leads me to my last point. What must we do now that we have pure hearts? What must we do? Well, number one, I think we need to celebrate. Amen? Like the fact that God took this wicked thing that was in me and cleansed it and made it pure in his sight, that is worthy of praise. And so the first thing we do is that we celebrate because in an amazing way, Matthew 5, 8 is talking about us. Isn't that amazing? He's talking about us. Who will see God, the pure in heart, who have pure hearts? It's us. Positionally, because of our faith in Christ, our hearts have been made clean. 
And practically, through sanctification, our hearts are being cleansed. And in the final day in glorification, we will have perfect, pure hearts that will behold our God and maker. This is a reason to celebrate. And I can just see some of your faces. Some of you are erupting with praise because of this great truth. You will see God because you have been given a pure heart. Celebrate. But secondly... There's this, there's this concept that I'm kind of wrestling with. We have been made clean, but then we are called to go and remain clean or work to stay clean. And I want to show you this concept in 2 Corinthians. It's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing dynamic that we have in scriptures. Let's start in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. And it's in other places like 1 John chapter uh, 3, verse 3 as well. But I think this is a, is a neat place to see this concept. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. It says, since we have... These promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now, now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, it sounds like I have a part to play in this, right? I'm working, I'm striving, I'm striving and working to put off defilement, to cleanse myself, right? And he, and he says, since we have these promises, well, what promises? We have to go back to, to read that. Look back at verses, at the end of the chapter, verses 16 to 18 of chapter 6, where Paul writes, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we have the temple, for we are, I'm sorry, this is an important, that was a, that was a bad error right there. That we have, we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. Look, look here, it's amazing. It's, I will be their God. I'm in their midst. I will be their God. Therefore, go out of the midst and be separated from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So th that's the promise. That God will be with us. That God will be in our midst. That we will have fellowship with him. And in the future, we will see him. Right? That's our text. We will see him. Therefore, in light of this promise, do what? Cleanse yourselves. Walk in purity. Strive for holiness. You say, okay, 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 pastor, I get it. What does that look like tonight? And what does the battle look like from Sunday night to Saturday night? What should I do? Okay, I'm in the race. I want to be cleansed. I've been made clean. I want to stay clean. What do I need to do? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you five ways to pursue purity and we're done. If I was you, I'd be taking out a pen right now. These are literally tools to go to war to fight for purity. 
five ways to pursue purity. And at the same time, I'm going to invite the band to come back up as well. Number one, be honest with God about your heart. Be honest with God about your heart. God knows there's no need to hide. And there is power when we call a spade a spade, amen? When we acknowledge our sin, when we acknowledge our corruption before God, when we acknowledge our shortcomings, that's the place we start. Be honest about your sin with God. Number two, wash your heart in the word. Wash your heart in the word. We fall down, but we get up. And when we get up, we should run to our Father and wash and bathe in his word. Uh, if you want a text for that, just take down Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, where Paul makes reference of that. Verse 25 and 26 is that reference. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. Thirdly, submit to the Holy Spirit. Whenever we approach impurity, whenever we approach that line, and whatever that line may be for you, whenever we are approaching sin, there's a knock on our heart. Come on, somebody. And, I, and I'm trying to train my son right now to listen to his conscience. I think he's a believer, so he doesn't have the Holy Spirit, but God in his grace gave him a conscience. And he knows when sin is a knocking. And we, how privileged we are that we have the Spirit of God within us. And we know as we approach sin, we feel the conviction. In that moment, what we need to do is submit to the Holy Spirit. Submit to the Holy Spirit. Fourth, as you would assume that would we'll make this list, pray for purity. Pray for purity. This is a prayer your heavenly Father would love to answer. Amen? Pray for it. You want to be pure? Cry out for it. Pray for it. And then lastly, number five, and I want all the young people up there to hear this one because it's vitally important. You want to pursue purity? You want to you be pure? God has made you pure. You want to run in this purity that God has given you? Fifthly, run with the righteous. Run with the righteous. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise will become wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. You know what the Bible says. Bad company corrupts what? Good character. So if you want to be pure, find the, the holiest person in school and be their friend. <laughs> and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm being a little bit dramatic, but it's kind of like that. You will engage in the activities that your friends are. And even as us as adults, we want to be in relationships with believers who are pursuing this thing who are devoted to the Lord, who will challenge us and hold us accountable. And so something that's vitally important is to run with, with the righteous. Oberian family, I love you. 
But God loves you more, and the Heavenly Father gives you this promise that you will see God. You will see God because he has made you pure in heart. Pursue purity. Remain in this purity practically in your sanctification. And let me pray for you that that would be a reality. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church family. Thank you for this time in your word. And thank you for the promise. I want to lose sight of that. This is a promise that the pure in heart shall see God. God, help us daily now pursue purity because we have been made pure. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.